often when we think of the gospel, we think of personal salvation. We think of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But Jesus, when he spoke of the gospel, he spoke of the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. Now, where, what does that mean? Well, I think it means this. It means that the gospel, what Jesus accomplished and all that is bound up in him brings to us more than forgiveness of sins. It's, it's more than about just personal salvation. It means that we are part of Christ's kingdom. And so uh, the gospel not only affects our salvation, our standing before God as we're reconciled to him, it affects our values, our ethics, our priorities, and our goals. In other words, everything about us falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus taught a great deal about the kingdom. In fact, a lot of his parables began, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like, and he went on to explain it. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus teaches about the kingdom, and the kind of the punchline, the, the motivating to, uh, is, is this, where we seek first the kingdom of God and right, in, in his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, what do we find? We find Jesus talking about entrance into the kingdom and the demands of righteousness to enter the kingdom. And what we discover is that they are higher than we could ever possibly attain. And in fact, the Pharisees said, well, we're pretty close. You know, we're, we're, in fact, we might be right there. But Jesus said, you're, you're fools. If you think you've kept that, kept that commandment not to murder, think again. If you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've broken that commandment. You don't, your, your righteousness doesn't measure up. And it reminds us of this, doesn't it? It reminds us that we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. And our entrance into the kingdom of God does not depend on our qualifications by self, but only the qualifications of Christ. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus teaches that, uh, that, his, that kingdom life is counter-cultural. It's not the way the world thinks. It's the way Jesus thinks. And he talks about marriage. He talks about loving enemies, and he talks about true treasure. And true treasure is not found by laying up things in this world where moth and rust destroy, but by laying up treasures in heaven. You see, it's a whole different way of thinking. It's a whole different operating system to life. The gospel brings us under the lordship of him who is the Savior. All right? Well, Jesus... Uh, does that and then he in verses 7 and 8 he says this ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened right, here's Jesus he's teaching about the kingdom and all of a sudden he, he comes to this part about asking and seeking and knocking and what's happened? Has he shifted gears? Have we moved from the, uh, the business section of the meeting to now we've, we're taking a break and going to the concession stand? Is Jesus saying, well, we have uh, uh, taught you about the kingdom, and now here's a little something for you. Kind of remind you of, uh, 
You know, that phrase you often hear, uh, up to half my kingdom and it will be given to you. Is that what Jesus is talking about here? What, what's, this, what's up with this ask and seek and knock all of a sudden? Well, clearly our Lord Jesus is teaching us about prayer, as he does in the previous chapter, as the front of your bulletin attests. But, and specifically he is teaching us about prayers of petition, prayers in which we ask God for something. But wh where is Jesus directing us? What's he pushing us to? What does he have in mind for us as his disciples in now speaking of prayer? Well, perhaps one way to understand our Lord's teaching here is by analogy of a license. Uh, my guess is that most of you here in this room of a certain age have a driver's license. And what a driver's license does is it gives us the privilege of the road. And with that privilege comes uh, agreement to comply uh, with the rules of the road, right? And our license gives us certain expectations for our use. We have liberty of transit. Well, the license that our Lord Jesus Christ is licensed to pray also comes with certain privileges and requirements. And we're going to look at three of those this morning from our text. First is this. Our Lord gives us right of access. Our Lord gives us right of access. The first thing we want to see here is that Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is extending to us permission to enter the throne room of grace. He's extending to us permission to enter the throne room of grace. Um, my wife and I, uh, she, we uh, went to a Ligonier conference, and that's in Orlando. It was a great time of year to go to because it, it was not a hot month. Uh, but our hotel was right across the street from Universal Studios. And we thought, why not? So uh, we went in and paid the money uh, for a, a ticket. And the way it worked is that ticket to Orlando studio uh, was good for whatever we wanted to go see, whatever attraction we wanted to visit. And in fact, it made it even more personalized because they would, what they would do is they would take your fingerprint and like we do with our phones nowadays, and it would um, give us access. It would read the, be a print reader and give us access into lockers and various things. That's the sort of access we have to entreat our God. He knows us, and he calls us each by name. Remember how Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb? Lazarus, come out. Well, Jesus brought us from death to life. He brought us from the dominion of darkness into his own kingdom. As he called us by name, and we heard his voice, and we came to him and bowed before him in repentance and faith. And we have access to this throne of grace anytime, anywhere, for any reason. That means that when you pray, you don't need to come in these doors. You don't need to be in this room to pray. You don't need to wait for this day. 
And he extends that invitation to us. And so we ask and we seek and we knock at his invitation. You know, the you of verse 7, he says, uh, knock and we give to you, seek and you will find, etc. That you isn't a universal you. That's the you of discipleship. And Jesus is speaking to us who follow him, who know him, and count ourselves among his disciples. He's not speaking to outsiders. You know, this access of prayer is something we can take for granted. I grew up at, uh, in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. My house was three blocks from the ocean. I could go to sleep at night hearing the waves crash. But I was a kid, and the ocean was there. It was just part of where I lived. And so the only time it got really exciting was when some nor'easter or hurricane would move in, and you go down and see some pretty cool things. But just living there, it's great. Now that I've moved away, I have a great more appreciation for the beach, or the shores, they call it up this way. Uh, and now I pay big bucks to go for a week at the shore. I took it for granted. You know, sometimes I think that we can do that. I think we can take, our, take prayer for granted. I think we can take the access that we have into the very throne room of God where we can cast our cares and lay our petitions before him. I think we can take that for granted. It's an extraordinary privilege and an access of grace. Uh, but this license in verse 7 is extended to those in his kingdom. And that means this. We, if we bow the knee before Jesus Christ, we have a right to address him. It's a privilege. It's a right to address him as father. Does God hear the prayer of the unbeliever? Well, there's a theological question for you, isn't there? And the answer is, if he wants to. It's God's prerogative. But God does not obligate himself to hear. But he does obligate himself to hear us. The reason is this. It's because Jesus Christ died for us. And Jesus Christ lives for us. And Jesus Christ is our mediator. And it's in his name that we come. You know, sometimes we close our prayers with, in Jesus' name. In some ways, it's, a, it's better to begin our prayer. Say, Lord, I come in the name of Jesus Christ, my mediator before you, in whose name you will hear me, through whom I have access. So we can be greatly encouraged that when we as children of God pray, that our prayer does not go into spam. It does not, it does not find its way into a trash folder. So here's the principle. And for each of these points that I'm making, I'm making three points. For each one, I'm going to finish it with a principle. And here's the principle for this first point. We as disciples of Christ have assured access to the throne of grace at the invitation of our God. We as disciples of Christ have assured access to the throne of grace at the invitation of our God. All right, so that's the first point. Our Lord gives us right of access. Second, 
our Lord gives us responsibility to request. He gives us responsibility to request. That's curious here. Why do you think that Jesus speaks in these terms, with these three words, ask, seek, and knock? Is he he making some distinction among the three? Where, or is there some sort, is there some sort of nuance that he wants us to understand? Or is there some sort of um, progression that he wants us to, to see where perhaps uh, seeking is more intense than asking? Or knocking is more assertive than seeking? I think what our Lord is doing here is this. I think he is just identifying different avenues of prayer kind of like planes, trains, and automobiles. Each one is expressive of turning to God to communicate our heart. In our day, our Lord Jesus might say, whatever way you pray, whatever way you do it, whether it's call or text or email, let your requests be made known to God. Well, a couple things to think about here. Uh, one, one thing is this. Each of these, ask, seek, knock, is something that we are invited to do. But actually, it's a little stronger than that. Each of these is a command. We are commanded to ask, commanded to seek, commanded to, to knock, and beyond that, we are continued. We are to continue to do this. It's not something where we, he's saying, ask. He's saying, keep on asking. Ask and ask and ask again and ask still more. So a command and it's something that is to be ongoing. So I think what that says is this. Our God wants us to turn to him and he wants us to pursue him. You know, James says something like that to us. He says, uh, you do not have, why? Because you do not ask you do not have because you do not ask our God wants us to ask him he wants us to petition him now God knows our needs right he already knows before we ask God knows a word that's on our tongue before we know it ourselves according to the psalm but our father in heaven Even though he knows the burdens of our hearts, he wants us to turn to him, speak to him, and ask of him. He wants us to capture those things. Perhaps you have those things on your heart today, things that cares that weigh you down. What God wants you to do is he wants you to capture those yearnings with words and bring them to him. One of my favorite expressions for prayer is uh, in the book of Hosea, chapter 14. In the second verse, uh, God says this, take with you words, take with you words and turn to the Lord. In other words, take those burdens of your heart, take take those things that are plaguing you and clothe them with words Find the words to capture your heart, what it is, you, and bring them to God. 
Now, that's one of the benefits, by the way, of uh, sometimes I, it's hard to pray. Sometimes the burdens of our lives are so weighty and we are so consumed that we find difficulty opening our mouths to find the words. That's where we turn to the Psalms. And we've got these inspired prayers that God has given us. Or, this is another thing, God gives us corporate prayer. Sometimes when we can't pray, we can gather with believers, and we can't open our mouths, but they pray, and we can say the amen to them and make their prayer our prayer, and they give us words to pray because we can't find them ourselves. Corporate prayer. Well, something else that's a kind of an angle here in terms of this asking, seeking, knocking, is that, is that God wants us to pursue him relentlessly, aggressively. There's an old-time word. Um, I know this was popular at the time. Of, uh, John, I think Jonathan Edwards wrote the, uh, talked about this. He said, we need to pray with importunity. He talked about, he wrote about importunate prayer. And that, all that means is that it is, there's an urgent, there's, a, there's an aggressiveness to prayer. Now we see that in two cases. We see that with, um, we see that in our personal cares. Remember Jesus with that, uh, sometimes it's called, I guess, the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of the unjust judge. And she just would not leave that judge alone until he granted her her request. And God gives us as an example of for himself, not that God is begrudging at all, but he wants us to pursue him. In fact, Jesus said this is the reason that he gave that parable. I, I, I'm giving you this parable so that you will pray and not lose heart. So that you will pray and not give do you ever feel like that, throwing in the towel with your prayer? Say, what good is it? And Jesus said, this is, this is how I want you to pray. But not only does it relate to our personal needs, and there were needs that were prayed for here from this pulpit this morning, right? And that's appropriate. And we need to continue to pray. But also there is prayer for the mission of Christ church. Uh, for example, and I think this is the text that Edwards preached on for importunate prayer. This is Isaiah 62. I want to read two verses. God says this, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You, now, you who call on the Lord, so it's broadening now, give yourselves no rest. And here's the really surprising part. Give yourselves no rest and give him no rest. Give God no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. What occurred to me when I read that is, uh, is my kids, now my grandkids, and they want a snack. And we say, and they, we say no, we don't answer because we heard it many times. And they will not let up. They will not let up. Now, I realize there are issues of disobedience there and all that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that there's something that they want, and they will not let it go. People of God, citizens of heaven, 
subjects of Christ's kingdom, you are to give God no rest until he builds his church to the glory of his name. That's, that's how we're mobilized as Christ's people pursuing God for the advancement of the kingdom. Uh, and what that means is this. So that means here, here we are asking, seeking, knocking. Does that mean when we ask, we kind of whisper? Or does it mean that we seek a little bit, but then eh, we give up? Or does it mean that we knock like this? No, we get the idea that we are to pursue God. We are to knock and knock and knock, crying out. Not that he can't hear, but that's how he wants to be pursued. That's how he wants us to, uh, to run to him, cry out to him. Here's a reminder of what prayer is. Prayer, you know, sometimes you ever ask the question, why pray if God's already got it sewn up? Why pray if God's already going to do what he's going to do? We take a fatalistic view, what will be, will be. But here's what, here's what scripture teaches us. Prayer is God's means to God's ends. In other words, God's not only Lord of the ends, what happens, but he's Lord of the means to get there. And one of the means that he uses for the accomplishment of his purposes in this world is your prayers, our prayers. Let me give you an example. James, James chapter 5. He talks to us about Elijah. He says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I mean, he was a human being, right? And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He prayed, no rain. He prayed, rain. What God highlights for us here is the means by which his will was accomplished. The prayers of Elijah, who's just like us. All right, here's the principle of prayer here. We are to diligently pursue God in prayer and not give up. We are to diligently pursue God in prayer and not give up. All right, first point, our Lord gives us right of access. Second, our Lord gives us uh, responsibility to request. And then thirdly, our Lord gives us reason to expect. Reason to expect. Notice that corresponding to each action, ask, seek, knock, our Lord promises results. If we ask, we will be given. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, the door will be open. And that, that's an encouragement because it says this. It says that our efforts in prayer will not be futile. They will not be pointless. We will not come up empty. And God's answer will be fitting. Can I tell you how many times over the years, actually in my own life too, not just as a pastor, I have heard people say, I am so glad that God did not answer my prayer. I thought this job was the one for me. He closed that door. And I'm so thankful. 
or I thought this was the one for me to marry. God said, no. He said, you're going to need to find someone somewhere else. And I am so thankful. So many examples. Perhaps you have some. Where you're so thankful that God did not answer your prayer in the way that you thought best. So we want to pray. Believing that Father knows best. And God's answers will not be unhelpful. They will not be harmful. They will not be superficial. And Jesus illustrates the point in verse 9. He says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. In other words, we pray on the basis of faith. You ever wonder what James is talking about when he's talking about the prayer of faith? He's talking about prayer that believes that God hears, believes that God will answer, and believes that his answer will perfectly fit the need. You know, uh, our earthly fathers can be pretty wise, but they're not all wise. But our Heavenly Father is. All right, this brings us to the question of what will we be given when we ask, what will we find when we seek, and what will door will open when we knock. You know, so often we read in this passage, ask and it will be given to you. And our, our eyes get big. Really? You mean whatever I ask? And there are other passages like that too. Really? And we think we've just gotten the magic lamp with a genie and it's preloaded with a million wishes. But we want to keep the context. You know that, drive, that license that I mentioned, this license to pray? What your license, my guess is, if you were to pull it out, it would say State of Pennsylvania on it. Probably most of you. Well, our license to pray has something on it too. And it, called, it says Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. And Jesus taught us when we pray in respect to the kingdom of God, what do we pray? Not my will be done, but your will be done. Your will be done, Matthew 6, on earth as it is in heaven. And so that's what we're praying. We're praying, we're asking these things, saying, Lord, whatever serves your purposes, whatever advances your kingdom. The principle of prayer here is this. We are to pray in confidence and expectation. We are to pray in confidence and expectation that trust the God who is our Father. We are to pray in confidence and expectation that trust the God who is our Father. And whatever, whatever needs we have, whether we're plagued with worry or with fear or with doubt, ask, seek, knock. You know, when our Lord translated us and that's a, a word I think is used in, uh, in, in the scriptures. He brought us, he delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. 
and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He gave us a new way of looking at life, and he gave us a new responsibility of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we have access to the throne of grace. Now it's for our needs, and we can praise God for that. We say amen. But it's also for the work of the church. We'll learn a lot more about that next week when we see what it means for Christ the King Presbyterian Church to be a house of prayer as an outpost of God's kingdom situated in this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. Let me close with a story. Uh, we read this earlier. This is our Old Testament reading. The year was about uh, 700 B.C. Hezekiah was a righteous king. He was one of the good guys. And he was king over the kingdom of Judah. He was in his 14th, the 14th year of his reign. Now, uh, Assyria had just, uh, was, they were a juggernaut. They were the world power. Assyria had just conquered many surrounding nations. They had already taken captive the northern kingdom of Israel. They had taken fortified cities in Judah. And now Sennacherib and his forces set their sights on Judah and Jerusalem. Hezekiah, the godly king, saw the vast army. He heard the words of boasts and prideful boasts. He heard the threats. And we're told in Isaiah 37 that Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord. And he cried out to God to intervene. He cried out to God for deliverance. And then we're told this. God sent Isaiah the prophet. The prophet is one who represented God. And Isaiah brought the answer of God to Hezekiah's ear. And Isaiah, as he brings the word of God to Hezekiah, he begins with these words. Because you prayed. Because you prayed. God acted because Hezekiah prayed. Every time that you rise from your prayer time, and say you've got daily devotions and you cried out to God, every time you rise from your daily prayer, every time you gathered, you adjourned from a prayer meeting with fellow believers, whenever you take up the weapon of prayer for the advancement of Christ's kingdom here in Conchahokan, may these words encourage you with great expectation knowing the God that you serve, every time you rise, hear these words, because you prayed. Let's pray. Father, you are the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or could even think according to your power that is at work in us, the kingdom power of the risen and reigning Jesus Christ. 
And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would teach us how to pray, compel us to prayer, and may you do great and mighty things in response to the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. We pray this in the name who lives and reigns with you forever and ever, Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.